And our goal is that you would ask God, God, what is my mission? What is the good work that you have prepared in advance for me? Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. I just want to start today by saying thank you. The fact that you all came to the late service when there's a one o'clock Colts game means you trust me to get you out of here. And I, I will be faithful to your trust. I promise I will honor this. Uh, hey, my name's Luke. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I get to serve as one of the ministers here at PCC. We love being together. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're with us and we hope to meet you face-to-face soon. Um, let me just go ahead and lay it out for you. Here's what I want to tell you today in one sentence. You were made for a mission. You were made for a mission. Now, I want you to just think for a moment about the people in your life. Think of your family, your friends, your coworkers. Just take a mental inventory of the people around you. And I specifically want you to think of the people who are really, truly, fully alive. Like, not just the people who are just kind of struggling to get by, the ones who are beaten down by the drudgery of day-to-day existence, the people who are spinning their lives on the hamster wheel just chasing a dollar. Think of the people who are really, truly, fully alive, the people you know who are just fully present in each moment, the people who are fully relationally engaged with the people around them. Think of the people who seize every day for the opportunity that it brings, the people who take each moment and they just wring it dry for every drop of joy that it can give. Think of those people who are fully alive. And my guess is that if you ask them, they would tell you that their life has a purpose. They could probably even articulate that their life has a singular mission. And I want you to know that that kind of God-given clarity on who you are and why you are here is not just something for those lucky few, but that's something that you can have too. You were made for a mission. We're starting a series today through the book of Nehemiah, which is in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. And whether or not you're familiar with the story, that's okay, we're gonna get familiar with the story. If you are familiar with it, you'll know that Nehemiah is kind of one of the great leadership heroes of history, that he's faced with this monumental task of leading a group of people across the desert to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem that have been knocked down for decades. And they faced all kinds of opposition. Nobody thought they could do it. But not only did they complete their task, they did it in just 52 days. It was incredible. And actually, as we walk through this series, through the book of Nehemiah, we're going to spend roughly 52 days together going through this story. And as we're going to dive in today, I'm going to give you here the bigger picture and some context here in a moment. But before we do, I want to start with just this nugget, a couple verses from Nehemiah chapter 2, where he says this. This is Nehemiah writing this, and he's recording an interaction that he had with the people of Jerusalem. Nehemiah says, then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And here's the phrase I want to land on your heart. So they began this good work. That's the verse you saw in the video a few moments ago. And listen, you can learn a lot 
in the book of Nehemiah. If, if you're interested in, in history or in politics or in leadership, or if you just need some advice on how to deal with a moody boss or how to bring your faith to bear in, in the work environment or how to balance faith and trust with organization and planning or how to deal with difficulty and criticism, any of those things, Nehemiah has a, has a lot of wisdom for you. But more than anything, anytime we read God's word, our primary goal is to hear God's voice. We wanna be people who listen to him as he speaks through his word. And so my prayer for all of us as we walk through the book of Nehemiah together is that through this book, God would speak to you and remind you that you were made for a mission. And specifically that he would show you what that mission is. And that as we walk out of this series together, he would give you the courage to embark on that mission. I love that phrase that we just read here, how Nehemiah rallies the people to rebuild the walls. And it says, they began this good work. Now, you might remember we're coming out of a series where we walked through a book in the New Testament, the latter portion of your Bible, the book of Romans, written by this guy named Paul who talks all about the way that Jesus has saved us. We've talked a lot about the gospel, the good news about how Jesus came from heaven to earth to rescue us from our sin. He died for us, he rose again, and now he offers all of us the opportunity to follow him and to be made new in him. And so we walked through these big Bible words about how Paul describes being made new in Jesus, words like justification and reconciliation, resurrection, and liberation, and adoption. And yet, the thing is, Jesus didn't just save you. He didn't do all of those things to you and for you and in you and with you just so that you could spend the rest of your life then sitting around twiddling your thumbs waiting on him to come back and get us. Jesus saved you to send you. You have a mission, maybe even reflecting back on your own story. When you became a follower of Jesus, maybe you came up out of the waters of the baptistry and you thought, okay, what now? Well, Paul, he actually, somewhere else, he tells us what now. In Ephesians chapter two, another letter, he says this in verses eight through 10. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We know this. You are saved when you place your trust in Jesus Christ and he saves you by his grace, by nothing that you have done. And yet, Paul also tells us what comes next. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And my hope, it is that as we walk through this book of Nehemiah, God would show you the good work that he has prepared in advance for you to do. And I know that even now, as I have said this to you already this morning, that you are made for a mission. Some of you are thinking I'm talking to somebody else. Like, I'm not actually talking to you like, listen, dude, you don't know who I am. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through. Like, I, I, I don't even know where to begin with that. You, maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not smart enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not devoted enough, but I'm not talking to somebody else. I'm talking to you. God has a kingdom assignment with your name on it. God has a play in his playbook that he wants to run and he's gonna call your jersey number. Last time I checked, God doesn't make spare people. <laughs> he doesn't have a B team just sitting on the bench until one of the varsity players gets injured and then he'll put him into the game. God has a kingdom assignment for every single person. He has put a call on the life of every human being. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that means that you were made for a mission that he has one for you. Back in uh, 2001, uh, President Bush was speaking at the graduation ceremony for a particular college, and I love what he said. He, he was speaking to the students, and he said this, and I quote, President Bush said, to those of you who received honors, awards, and distinctions, I say, 
well done. And to the C minus students, I say that someday you too can become president of the United States. <laughs> Listen, God calls the A plus student and he calls the C minus student. He calls the eloquent and he calls the slow speech. He calls the five tool player and he calls the one tool player. He calls the people who are extroverted and he calls the people who are introverted. He calls the people who grew up in church and have been in a pew their whole lives and the people who just came out of the bar. I don't care how messy your story is. I don't care how imperfect your family is. I don't care how incomplete your spiritual vocabulary is. God made you for a mission. He has prepared good work in advance for you to do. Nobody else, you. So here's the question we're gonna be asking as we walk through this series together through the book of Nehemiah. What is the good work that God is calling you to? What is the good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do? And we wanna give you a really good concrete way to articulate this. I mean that quite literally. At the end of this series, we're gonna give each of you one of these little miniature concrete blocks. You like these little things? Like, oh, some of you said, aw, right? Like, I would call it cute if I wasn't scared you'd take away my man card for doing so, right? But we're, we're gonna give you each one of these and our goal is that as we talk through this together and as we pray through this together, that you would ask God, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is my mission? What is the good work that you have prepared in advance for me? And at the end of this series, we want you to be able to write on this cement block, my good work is blank and whatever it is, but we want you to write it on this block, stick it up somewhere that you can see it every single day to remind yourself that God made you for a mission. That sound all right? It's not rhetorical. Does that sound okay? <laughs> All right, good, good, good. Let's pray and then we're gonna dive into God's word together. Father in heaven, uh, we love you. We're so thankful that you've saved us. We know there's nothing that we could do. We can't work at all to earn this amazing gift that you have given us of Jesus. But because of that, because of his good work, you now have good work for us. That in response to what you've done, we now get to, be a part of what you're doing to rescue the world. So Father, um, speak today, please, and give us ears to hear and hearts with the courage to obey. And it's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Open your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter one. It's about a third of the way through your Bible, Nehemiah chapter one, and we're gonna uh, kind of get three nuggets of wisdom today from Nehemiah's story that we're gonna use to help you discern the mission that God has for you, the good work that he is calling for you. And I, I want you to know that these uh, three particular nuggets of wisdom I got from uh, Craig Groeschel, the way he phrased those, it was really helpful for me, and I hope it will be helpful for you too. Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through four. Nehemiah writes this. He says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came in from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who've survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. 
So here's the scene, here's the context of this story. You might remember that God created for himself a special people, the nation of Israel, and he brought them into the promised land and they were 12 tribes united into one kingdom here. We've got the 12 tribes up there and God gave them the law, not because they had to follow the law to get saved, but because God had saved them and created them to be his people. He said, now I want you to live this way so that you can know who I am and so that you can show the world who I am and what it means to live a life of worship to me. This was their calling and God's law was designed to help them to flourish and to thrive but unfortunately the people sinned and they disobeyed and they worshiped other gods and they didn't follow God's law and so the kingdom was divided like we say in our house to our little boys we say listen buddy you choose to sin you choose to suffer like God made these rules for a reason when your relationship with God is in shambles your life will be in shambles too and so the kingdom is divided as a result of their king we have the 10 tribes to the north there in the nation of Israel and the two tribes to the south in the nation of Judah and neither one of them were very good they had all kind of corrupt leaders and so just like God said would happen eventually the empire of Assyria comes and conquers the northern kingdom of Israel takes them into captivity and a while later the empire of Babylon comes in and captures the southern kingdom of Judah takes them into captivity Captivity. And while God's people are in captivity in Babylon, the whole Babylonian empire is overthrown by the Persians. I know that's a lot to track with, but that's the scene. Nehemiah is writing from the capital city of the Persian empire, where God's people have been in exile for about 150 years. He's in Susa there on the far right of the screen, far, far away from his homeland. And yet the amazing thing is that through God's providence, the king of the Persian empire all the way over there in Susa has started to allow some of God's people to go back to Jerusalem, back to the promised land. He'd sent one group there to start rebuilding the temple and a while later, another group got to go to try to start rebuilding the city. And even though they'd been there for several years at this point, things weren't going well back in Jerusalem. They had poor leadership, lack of resources, and worst of all, the city didn't have any walls. Now you see the news just like I do. We all know this whole area in the Middle East, specifically in and around Jerusalem, is still a hotbed of tension and conflict and division. It was even more so back then. The city needed walls to protect itself from the hostile forces around them. Without walls, the city of Jerusalem could never be restored. And so when Nehemiah hears how broken the walls are and how broken the situation in the city is, he says he sits down and he weeps. Now here's why. It's not just because Nehemiah was being nostalgic about his hometown. It's that he's grieving because he doesn't know how the promises of God are going to be fulfilled. He knows that the promises of God were intricately tied to the city of Jerusalem, that God had promised he was gonna send a Messiah, a king who would rule there from the city of Jerusalem, that God started, he was gonna kickstart the movement to rescue the world through the city of Jerusalem. But if the city doesn't have any walls, how can God do this? And so Nehemiah, when he hears about the desperate condition of the city, he sits down and he weeps. And you too, for your mission, for you to start your mission, step number one is just that, to sit and weep. To sit and weep. And and here's what I mean by that. What, What breaks your heart? What grieves you? When you look around at the world and you know the way things should be and yet you see the way things actually are, what is it that you just can't stand, that you look at it and you think, that's not right, somebody has to do something about that. What, what burdens you? What burdens you? One of the signs you know, of spiritual maturity is that as we grow in following Jesus, we begin to have God's heart. 
that we start to love the things that God loves and we begin to hate the things that God hates and we begin to be brokenhearted by the things that break God's heart. This is our call as Christians in the world. Now think about this though. Nehemiah, he didn't have to sit and weep about what was happening in Jerusalem. He's a thousand miles away in the capital city of the most powerful empire on the planet. He's probably never even been to Jerusalem. We're gonna see a few verses later that Nehemiah, he's a high up official in the government. He has access to the king. That means he's eating the same food the king eats. He's drinking the same stuff the king drinks. He's probably watching TV on the, 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 you know, the, the king's flat screen. He's taking selfies with the royal family. Like he's, he's got a good gig going on. He's living a comfortable life. And, and we do too, right? Most of us here today, most of us in Hendricks County live pretty comfortable lives. Sure, we've all got stuff going on, but comparatively, our lives are pretty comfortable. And the danger of living a comfortable life is that we can really easily distance ourselves from the pain of the world, right? You, you probably do this just like I do. You can scroll down your news feed. Oh man, another shooting, another drug bust, another scandal, Oh, look, the new iPhone's coming out, right? <laughs> oh, another terrorist attack, another earthquake, another drought, another war breaking out. Oh, I wonder how the Colts are gonna do today. Did you see they signed Quentin Nelson to a big new contract? Oh, did you see that post? That looks delicious. I gotta get that Instagram, that recipe off Instagram for that lasagna, right? Like, it, it's really hard for us to empathize with the pain of the world when we mix the tragic with the trivial. And it's hard for our hearts to handle that and it's easy for us to stay distant from the brokenness around us. And if you're anything like me, like at best, when you read these stories of the deep pain going on here and around the world, at best we think, ah, oh, man, this is awful. Lord, why does this happen? What a shame. And yet there's still part of our heart that thinks, well, but that's so far away, what could I possibly do about it, right? And, and so maybe at best we say a little prayer and then we just move on. It would have been easy for Nehemiah to do that, but he doesn't. Nehemiah chooses to let the pain of the people in Jerusalem be his pain. He chooses to sit and weep under the burden of their suffering, to make their suffering his something. His mission began with his burden. And yours will too. Your mission begins with your burden. When God places something on your heart, when he draws you to a point of pain and you realize that the somebody who needs to do something about this just might be you, that's where your mission begins. Your mission begins with a burden. That's why we packed up thousands and thousands of meals yesterday at our church to send around the world. I won't reveal the total. I'm gonna let Riley do that later on, but because we have a burden for people who don't have as much as we do. That's why today we have a trip leaving from our church to go to Kentucky to help with the tornado relief because we have a burden to help those in need. That's why this week we sent a family from our church across the world to a country that I can't even mention from stage to be missionaries. And why did God give them that mission? Because four years ago they watched a movie about that country and they couldn't shake it. God gave them a burden for what they saw and that burden turned into their mission. Your mission begins with your burden. Now notice, when this envoy came back from Jerusalem here, Nehemiah was actually interested in what they found. He, he asked them good questions. And the same thing is true with you. Your mission will be shaped by the questions that you care enough to ask. 
I'm not gonna stand up here today and pretend to have all the answers about what your mission is or what the burden is that God wants to give you, but I am here to challenge you to ask the questions that God might use to give you a burden. Could you be brave enough to ask questions like how many people in that country are gonna die without ever hearing the name of Jesus? Could you be brave enough to ask questions to your neighbor and just find out their story and, and what are their hurts and what are their hopes? Could you ask questions like how many kids are in the foster care system in Indiana just waiting for a family to love them? How many students in the school districts are waiting for somebody to mentor them just to ask how their day was and read some books with them? How many people in this church, in this room right now, are desperately lonely, just waiting for somebody to be a friend to them? How many marriages in this place in this church are hanging on by a thread. They're just barely dragging in here today. How many young men are enslaved to pornography? How many people in our community are trapped in the darkness of cycles of addiction? How many single parents are struggling to make ends meet, much less raise their kids to know and love the Lord? How many people groups across the world don't have access to scripture in their heart language or clean water that they can drink? How many of your coworkers are spinning their wheels, spending their lives just chasing a dollar with nobody in their lives who's willing to speak up and show them what a life of true significance looks like. Are you willing to ask those kinds of questions? Questions that God may use to give you a burden and from there to give you a mission. We're gonna have a prayer time later on in the service where we're just gonna ask God to do just that. We're gonna say, God, would you, would you give us a burden? And over the life of this series together, we're, we're gonna build a wall here. We're gonna build a wall on stage, which means like I probably should have worked out you know, before the series started, but... I didn't, so we're gonna see how it goes, right? <laughs> but if I could say one thing to you today, it would be just that. Man, I want us to become a kind of people who are willing to be broken by the things that break God's heart. To become people who go to the points of pain in the world and bring the hope and the light and the love of Jesus. But that kind of a mission starts with a burden. I want you to leave here today praying, God, would you give me a burden? And when he does, when he draws you to that person, to that situation that is hurting, step number one of that mission is just like Nehemiah did. We sit and we weep. But then here's step number two. Here's what Nehemiah does with that burden. He sits and weeps, but step number two is he kneels and prays. Look in verses four through 11, Nehemiah says this. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now we're gonna read Nehemiah's prayer here. Notice how he grounds his prayer in the character of God. He, he speaks what he knows to be true about who God is. He says, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, for the people of Israel. So Nehemiah then moves from acknowledging who God is and adoring him to confessing his sin the sin of his people, and also his own sin. Now, it would have been really easy for Nehemiah to look at this whole situation and to blame his ancestors who'd broken God's law, but notice, Nehemiah doesn't blame anybody. He doesn't blame his ancestors, he doesn't blame the Republicans, he doesn't blame the Democrats, he doesn't blame his family of origin, he doesn't blame his personality type or his lack of resources or his busy schedule. He takes full responsibility. He prays, he says, I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. 
And if you wanna live a life on mission, if you wanna live a life of good work that God has for you, you have to be willing to take responsibility like Nehemiah did and said, okay, change starts right here. It starts with me. So Nehemiah, he adores God. He confesses his sin and then he asks God to help him. And he bases it on what he knows that God has already promised. Nehemiah prays this. He says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, where you said, God, that if, if you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. He's saying, God, you promised to bring us back if we would return to you, and that's what we're doing, so we're gonna hold you to your word. Nehemiah prays, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your strength with your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Now, we're gonna see throughout this story over the next few weeks, that Nehemiah is a leadership genius. He is, and we can learn a lot about how to lead well through him. And yet he doesn't have all the credentials that you might expect. He's not like some experienced general contractor. He's not a military guru. He doesn't have a blue check mark on his Twitter account, okay? He's just a normal guy with a job. And he's, he's a smart dude. He's, he's got some grit. He's got some guts. He's humble. He's wise. He's street smart. He's tough. He's a smart guy. He's a good planner. He's got some skills. And yet, when the time came to turn his burden into a mission, notice what Nehemiah doesn't do. He doesn't go run out and start a business plan. He doesn't get a team together. He doesn't start a GoFundMe. He doesn't go drop some hints to the king. Before any of that, Nehemiah starts his good work by praying, by praying. Now, you still may be hearing all this, like a mission really for me? I don't even know what that means or where to start. Like, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not a pastor. I don't know my Bible very well. My life is a mess. Surely you don't mean me. And I do mean you. Because Nehemiah wasn't a pastor. Nehemiah wasn't a priest. He was just a normal guy with a nine to five government job. Does it get any lower than a government job, you guys? Um, that's a bad joke. Um, but you know what he was? He was a person of prayer. And you can't be too. That was the key to the success of his mission. We're gonna come across 11 different prayers throughout this book. The key to the success of his mission and to the success of yours was that after he sits and weeps, he kneels and prays. Nehemiah also says that he fasted while he was praying. You may be familiar with that, you may not, but that's where you go without something in order to enter into a season of prayer. Most often people choose to go without a certain portion of food and it's not a legalistic thing, but it intensifies your prayer that every time you feel hungry, it's like, oh man, that reminds me to pray. And can I just tell you, I hate fasting. I can't stand it. I despise it. It stinks. I get headaches. I'm grumpy, but like, it's good. And it helps my prayer life. And I want you to know that this church is led by a group of men and eldership who's fiercely committed to prayer and fasting. We're led by a staff that is fiercely committed to prayer and fasting. And we want to be a church that does that too, because this is the key to the success of Nehemiah's mission, that he fasts and he prays for four months before he tells anybody about his burden. And you know, every now and then, like when bad things happen, when tragedy strikes, I see good-hearted people with great intentions say some really silly things about prayer. You've probably seen it too. When something horrible happens, somebody will say, well, all we can do now is pray. And I understand what they mean by that, but I wonder how God feels about that. Like, okay, great. Like all you can do now as if God's the player on the end of the bench that's, oh, guess all the starters got hurt. Let's put that kid in and see what he can do. 
man, y'all, like we're talking to the all-powerful creator, God of the universe, who's existed from eternity past and is orchestrating all of time to work toward eternity future, and he's got it all figured out. All we can do now is pray. Of course, all we can do now is pray. If all you ever do is pray, my guess is that God will still do amazing things, even if you did nothing your entire life except pray. Prayer isn't just part of the plan. Prayer is the plan, you guys. And you've seen this too, good-hearted people with good intentions when something happens and they'll say thoughts and prayers as if those were the same thing. (laughs) Man, if you're going through a hard season, I want you to know that Luke's thoughts will be absolutely useless to you. They will do you no good. (laughs) But Luke's prayers to a good and powerful God who loves you, that'll do something. So can I challenge you that as followers of Jesus, could we be a little bit more specific? Could we be different than everybody else? Instead of saying thoughts and prayers, can we say, hey, I am praying for you. Here's what I'm praying for you. Better yet, can we say, hey, could I pray for you right now? And then we do it. We sit and weep and then we kneel and pray. That was the key to the success of his mission. And later on, we're gonna have a prayer time in the service. And this is gonna be our challenge to ask God, would you give me a burden? And would you show me what to do about it? Because when your burden leads to your mission, if it is God who's calling you to it, then it is God who will give you the power to complete it. If God calls you to it, he will equip you for it. And I hear a whole lot of other people, while I'm ragging on people, right? Um, Here, a lot of people who take this little verse about God will never give you more than you can handle and they kind of take it out of context. Listen, that's not exactly what that verse means. God loves giving you more than you can handle. For the record, he does. Because it forces you to rely on him. And if God gives you a mission, he's not gonna insult you with a small, easy one. He's gonna give you a long, hard, big, difficult, terrifying mission that forces you to rely on him so that when it is completed, He's the one who gets the glory and not you and me. And so Nehemiah prays. And he prayed based on God's word. He knew what God had promised to be true. And he says, God, I'm gonna hold you to this. I wonder if he knew Proverbs 21.1, which says that in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. Because that's exactly what God does for Nehemiah here. He Nehemiah sits and weeps, he kneels and prays, and then, and then the time comes in every mission when the time comes to stand and act. That's the third thing, stand and act. We just read that Nehemiah said he was cupbearer to the king, cupbearer to the king of the whole Persian empire. Now, when you think of a a cupbearer, you might think of like a butler, you know, like Alfred, is that his name from Batman? And you know, the the British guy who brings your afternoon tea, right? That's not what we're talking about. It's actually more like a secret service agent, that Nehemiah's job would have been to taste all the king's wine, to eat a little bit of all the king's food, to make sure that it wasn't poisoned before it went to the king, to make sure nobody's gonna assassinate him. I'm hoping he got a good life insurance policy with it, but apparently it worked out. The, The bottom line is that Nehemiah was good at his job. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to be good at your job. Whether you've got a good boss or a bad boss, when your boss thinks of somebody that they can trust and count on and depend on that they know is gonna be there, I want your face to pop into their mind. Here's what Nehemiah says in chapter two. He says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, Nehemiah says. Notice that he's human. He's not like great big superhero Bible guy, right? Like he's a person and his mission was scary too. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. 
Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Notice here how respectful Nehemiah is. He's not grumpy, he's not grouchy, he's not rude, he's not demanding. In fact, he had a reputation for being joyful in the presence of the king. I hope you have a reputation for being joyful so that when the time comes to share your burden, you've earned a hearing like he had. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Now notice before he answers, Nehemiah is gonna pray again and he'd whittled down his mission so clearly and so concisely to one sentence that he could say it real quick. That's what we want you to do too. Nehemiah says this. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him, so we know he was empowered to make a decision here then. (laughs) You get it there. (laughs) Ask me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. And I also said to him, now I love this, he's like, well, I guess God's answering my prayers. I'm gonna go for broke. I'm putting all the chips in on the middle of the table. Check out what he asks, this is crazy. He says, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? (laughs) And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, The king granted my request. Did you hear that? (laughs) Nehemiah just asked his boss for a year off of work to rebuild a city that his boss had conquered and knocked down in a foreign land, a city that very well may rise up and challenge the throne of Persia for all he knows. And not only that, he asked for a personal bodyguard, a permission slip to get by anybody who'd wanna stand in his way and some stuff to build a house for himself. And by the way, king, can I borrow your credit card to finance the whole thing? And the king says, yes, because a burden gave birth to a mission that was bathed in prayer and fasting and the good hand of our gracious God was on it. And I'm telling you, if God gives you a burden and if God gives you a mission, he will give you everything you need to do it. You just gotta trust him. So sit and weep, kneel and pray, stand and act. And maybe you're still hearing this and you're thinking, okay, great, preacher man, I get it, but I, I still don't know what my mission is. Like, I don't even know where to start. And that's okay. I, I can't tell you. I don't know what the burden and the mission is that God's gonna give you, but I do wanna give you some tools to let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you. In our prayer time here in a little bit, we're gonna walk through some questions. I want you to pray through some questions about the burden that God might give you that would lead to your mission. Here's four questions I want you to ask as you seek to discern this. Question number one is, what are your gifts? What are your gifts? Like, what are you good at? What abilities has God given you? Some of you, have the gift of hospitality. Some of you don't, like (laughs) me, right? (laughs) Some of you have the gift of encouragement. Some of you have the gift of wisdom that you're just really good at listening and saying the right thing at the right time to the right person in the right way. Some of you have the gift of like earning money. You're just like good at making money. Did you know giving is a spiritual gift in the Bible? Like the rest of us are like, why can't I have the gift of making money, right? But it is, man, and if God has given you that ability to have a lot of wealth, that means he's given you the gift of being able to give it away and finance his work around the world. What are your gifts? Here's question number two, what are your passions? What are your passions? What do you, like just simply, what do you love to do? 
What do you enjoy? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What just like makes your tail wag like a little puppy dog? You know, like what gets you going? Some of you are, like every one of you is an expert at something. What's that thing? How might God wanna use that thing? There's one Bible teacher who says that your mission is where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. What is your deep gladness? And what is the hunger that God might use it to meet? Here's question number three. What's your story? What's your story? Everybody in here today, we've all got stories of ups and downs and twists and turns and God wants to take even the broken and messy parts of your story and he wants to bring you to a place where you're whole and healthy enough that then you can speak from those experiences into the lives of other people who are going through the same thing. You know who the best marriage mentors in the whole world are? People who've been through long, hard seasons of marriage pain. And the people who give the best parenting advice are people who know the heartache of having a wayward child. And the people who are the best addiction sponsors are the people who have walked that darkness themselves and they've come out on the other side and found the hope that Jesus can give. And the best people to be a friend in a time of dark depression is somebody who's walked that road of anxiety and darkness themselves. God wants to take your story and use it. What's your story? Here's question number four. Where do you have influence? Where do you have influence? Like who is it that listens to you? Where does your voice have weight? Where do the people around you care about what you have to say? Some of you, that's your home. Like the people in your house listen to you, you have influence there and your mission might be right there. Some of you, that's your career and you've been put in a position of power and authority and God wants to use that to help the people around you. And again, I can't tell you the answer to these questions, but my prayer is that God would give you a burden and a mission and we're gonna ask you this every week so that by the end of this, you'll be able to write on this block, my good work is blank. Maybe your good work is raising your kids and your grandkids to love the Lord. That's a noble calling. Maybe your good work is to love your spouse lavishly with nothing less than the love of God, even when they don't deserve it. Maybe your good work is to get your family out of debt, every debt except for your mortgage within a year's time so that you're not a slave to money anymore. Maybe, maybe your good work is to have spiritual conversations with five of your friends who don't know Jesus over the next six months. Maybe your good work is to give $100,000 to your church before you turn 45 years old. Maybe your good work is to spend your retirement pouring into the next generation. Maybe your good work is to do whatever it takes to overcome that addiction that has been plaguing you for years. Maybe your good work is to become a person of prayer. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it starts with saying, God, would you give me a burden? And then when he does, you sit and weep, you kneel and pray, and you stand and act. We're gonna have some time pretty soon to pray over all this, but before we do, we're gonna come to this moment that we do every week. This is the central moment of our time together. If you receive the communion elements when you walked in, take those out now. And if you're new to faith here, um, this may seem like a little bit of a weird thing, but we do this every week. We take this little piece of bread that reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. It reminds us of his body that was nailed to the cross so I could be forgiven of every stupid thing I've ever done. And we take this little bit of juice that reminds us of the blood of Jesus that washes us clean in the sight of God so that we can be saved by him and then sent by him to do his work here in the world. And scripture tells us that Jesus is is very really present with us in a special way in this particular moment. Um, when, when we read these stories in the Old Testament, like the story of Nehemiah, and re- really all these stories, the stories you might know of Noah and Moses and Abraham and David, all these stories in the Old Testament, we kind of read them on three different levels. 
Level number one is the story of the individual. Like this is Nehemiah's story. It's the story of one dude who is faithful to God's call. Level number two, this is also the story of the nation. This is Israel's story. This is the story of how God used Nehemiah to fulfill his promises to his people and to bring them back. But we also read all of these stories on a third level, on a deeper level. Not just the story of an individual, not just the story of a nation. This is the story of redemption. The story of how God is using all of this to save the world. That God used Nehemiah to help bring his people back, to reestablish this city where one day his son would come and do miracles and teach. And outside those very walls, his son would hang on a cross to die for you and for me so that we could be a part of the mission now. And everything good we see in Nehemiah is just a reflection of the goodness of Jesus. The point of this isn't to tell you to be like Nehemiah. You know, Jesus came with a burden, a burden for how lost and broken we were, and that's what led to his mission to save us. And Jesus, he, he wept. It says he had compassion on the crowds when he saw how helpless we were. He wept even over the city of Jerusalem when he saw how dark it had become. And Jesus knew that to accomplish this mission, he was gonna need God's power. And so he was a man of prayer. And every time the mission got hard, you see Jesus going off by himself to be with God. And at the most difficult moment of all, before Jesus went to the cross, he hit his knees in the garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed, Father, if it's possible, please make another way. And yet if not, not my will, but yours be done. And he went from weeping and kneeling to standing. And he stood up and he carried the cross all the way up the hill and he died for you and for me so that we can be a part of his family now. We get to do our good work because he has already done the perfect work. So I'm gonna give you a moment to take this piece of bread on your own and would you just tell Jesus thank you for fulfilling his mission so that we can be a part of it. God, thank you for what you've done in sending your son to save us. And that not only did you save us, but that you actually want to use us. That's amazing. And so thank you. Jesus, we can't earn anything. We don't deserve anything. So we don't work for your grace. We work from your grace. And we are going to take this little cup again to be reminded of the blood of Christ that was shed so that we could call you our father. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the blood of Christ. Let's stand and worship our King because the same God who did all of that back then is the same God who can do it again today.